Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's, huzzah, a toast to breakfast. If there is one thing I've learned in my life, it's the importance of the people you surround yourself with. And I feel so incredibly blessed by the circle of women who inspire me, motivate me, and encourage me to look at life through a different lens. They are my people. And maybe you know by now, Maria Shriver is one of the friends I hold so dear to my heart. She is my go-to at any time I'm in a crossroads or in a funk. One call to her and suddenly my mental load feels lighter. You may remember that she joined me during season one of Making Space for a beautiful conversation about friendship along with Oprah. And Maria is back with me today. But this Maria you're about to hear from is not like the Maria you met in the past. We go deep. She is candidly reflecting on topics we haven't heard from her on everything from growing up a Kennedy to navigating life after divorce. And guys, she's just so full of wisdom. So think of today's conversation as a gift to you. Once you're touched by Maria's insight, you'll never look at life quite the same way. I'm Hoda Kotb. Welcome to my podcast, Making Space. First of all, for everyone who's listening, and if you're not driving, I'd get a pen and paper ready because I feel like you do this thing where you drop all these little wisdom bombs. And I was like, what was that thing? <laughs> Just today, you said something about, I was explaining to you how sometimes people poke me in a way that is painful, mm. whether it's somebody who I knew a long time ago or somebody who I work with or whatever. And you said something that I've been thinking about. What did you say? I've been thinking. <laughs> I said, when this is actually a teacher who taught me, he said to me, think of that person as your teacher. They are actually bringing up something in you that needs to be resolved. Yeah. They are teaching you how to handle whatever comes up in your interaction with that person. And I found it to be unbelievably helpful because there was a certain person yeah. that was behaving with a lot of anxiety and it was bringing up anxiety in me. Yep. And he was saying, instead of being irritated by this that person. person, look at them as your teacher and try to understand what's happening in you. In you. In you, because it's always about mm -hmm. what you're supposed to get and how you can heal whatever is going on in you because it needs to be healed. That's so funny because sometimes when I, when you, people always say, well, this person knows how to push my buttons. Mm. It's like, well, what's your button? Yes. What is it? What's that button that's so exposed that if this person touches it, yeah. it turns you inside out. And that shows you should be looking at your button, not just the person pushing it. Well, I think all of these, everything that I've learned in yeah. this journey of life is that, which I wish I had known actually so much younger, is that everybody is coming through as a teacher, even yeah. the people that push your buttons, yeah. right? And that if you could look at them that way, yeah. 
it actually demystifies them in some way. It takes away some of the irritation yeah. about them. And this person came to teach me about my pain. Yeah. This person came to teach me about strength yeah. that I didn't know I had. Yeah. This person came to teach me about the downsides mm-hmm. of this. And therefore, you can appreciate their role in your life in a different way. You talked about how somebody taught you this. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the cool things about you is you are a learner and a teacher. You just recently talked to the coach from Duke. Right. For your show. For our show. Right. But this woman. Carol Lawson. I saw a clip of her. Most people think that it's going to get easier. Life is going to get easier. Basketball is going to get easier. School's going to get easier. It never gets easier. What happens is you become someone that handles hard stuff better. What did you glean? Like, what did you learn about life from, from her? Well, I think what she said, first of all, I think we all need coaches yeah. in some way, right? It's not just the person who's on the basketball team or the football team. And I always looked at coaches on those young people and thought, God, I wish I had that now at this age, yeah. somebody coaching me forward, yeah. right? But I think what I got from her was that she she said, you know, part of why I think that speech resonated beyond the 17 people I was talking to. Yeah. She said, you know, I was focused on only 17 people. I wanted to make an impact to those 17 people. Yeah. And it went to tens of millions of people. Jeez. And she said, I think people focus a lot of the time on like, I have to impact the oh. world. And just focus on the one five, 17 people you want to focus on and then leave the rest kind of up to God. I always say up to God. Somebody once said to me, you know, Jesus basically stayed in 32-mile district. You know, (laughs) he never went far in his whole life, right? But his teachings went around the world. But he was in speaking to a small section of people. But Coach Lawson said, you know, I'm here to remind people that they have done hard things Mm. and they can do more hard things. Mm. And what I took away from that was like, yeah, I've actually done hard things. I don't give myself credit for the hard things that I've already done, Yeah, which then encourages me or inspires me. Yeah, I can do more hard things because I've done them. I've done that. I forget about them. Yeah. And I took that away that we're capable of doing hard things in Uh our future because we've done them to get to where we are. Right. Look at us sitting here. And I like that. Like, don't go wide, go deep. Don't go wide. It's like some people try to just sort of carpet bomb everybody. But it's like, I even think about this with stories. Sometimes when we're doing a story at NBC, they're like, let's interview six people and let's do it. It's like. Sometimes if you have one person, you go way, way deep with them. All of a sudden you get everything that you wanted as opposed to, that's so interesting. That she said that. Talk to the 17. Yeah, she's like, I wasn't talking to anybody else. She said, because I took her her speech and put it up on my Instagram. And she goes, I for sure wasn't talking to Maria Shriver. Isn't that interesting? But I ended up talking to her. And I was like, that is so wise. Just focus on the kid that's in front of you, mm-hmm. the friend that's in front of you. Mm-hmm. I did not grow up with that message. Mm-hmm. And I have found in my life that what fills me up, what makes me joyful, what yeah. makes me feel good is not what I thought when I was 20 or 30. Mm-mm. It's the, I'm talking to you, mm-hmm. somebody's talking to me. And that's 
kind of, I think, a secret that people don't talk about enough. When did you start on this journey of like figuring out who you were? Because I, I would imagine with all your kids and your life, you were just getting through. It's a good, I've actually thought a lot about, and I don't, I'm on a continual quest actually yeah. to learn about myself, why I'm here and how I'm moving through the world and its effect on my small world, right? And so I've often thought about, was I always curious? And the answer is yes, I was always curious, which is why journalism was so great for me. I think I've had a couple big pillar moments. I think when my dad lost, he was the vice presidential uh, nominee on the McGovern ticket. And that was a huge, hard lesson about politics for me. Which was? Well, it was, you know, that it was, for me, loss, grief. It was assassinations. It was people saying, I'm going to step up and help, and they didn't step up Mm. and help. It was, it kind of confirmed for me, like, oh, I don't want anything to do with this. It's not real. It's Mm -hmm. not honest. It's not what it pretends to be. You Mm -hmm. either end up somebody getting killed or they lose, and both are horrible, right? That Mm -hmm. was kind of my takeaway. And the journalism lesson was, you know, that I could put my whole heart and soul, I could work seven days a week, 24 hours a day, and they could decide on a whim, it was over and Mm -hmm. I'm out the door, right? So I thought, huh, that was a lesson Mm -hmm. about journalism. Mm -hmm. And certainly the, um, I wanted to have a different kind of marriage than my parents had. I wanted to have a different kind of life than my parents did. And the ending of all of that definitely sent me on a journey to reevaluate everything in Mm. my life, every aspect of my life, and um, how I had gotten where I was, what was my role in it, uh, what could I do better, um, what had I done that put me in that place. Um, I looked at my religion. I looked at the judgments of my religion. I looked at my own judgments. I looked at uh, myself as a woman. I looked at um, everything. I looked at everything. Mm. And I did everything that was available uh, that I could find to heal myself. And I still look at myself as on a healing Mm. journey. Mm -hmm. I pay close attention to my own emotional sobriety. I pay deep attention to living in my own integrity. Mm. I will never abandon myself again, or I will never do some of the things that I did. And I, I think I just kind of have tried to dig deep and to understand that how I work in the world has a lot to do with how I feel about myself. And I didn't connect those two things. I was raised with just go out and try to work on the world and don't worry if you're upset or angry or resentment or any of these things. And then to actually turn that journey onto myself and into myself and then connect to how I Uh go out in the world has been a glorious journey for me. Wow. I remember once you were talking to me and you said you were trying to separate what you believed mm. as and and wondering like what you believed inside or what things your parents put in you when you were yeah. a kid. You know, parents put things in us when we we're a kid and we say, I always believe X. It's like, well, yeah. your mom and dad told you that, but now that you're grown, mm. so you were discovering, I still remember you were combing through stuff in your life, like what do I actually believe? And what stuff was taught to me so much and drummed into me that that became part of my DNA? How did you 
break through all that stuff. Well, I, I, I think, you know, we all at some point go through that, yeah. right? We all wonder, like, is this my opinion or is this my parents' opinion? Or is this, you know, just something I heard and adapted? Or, yeah. And I, I think that's a gradual process. Yeah. You know, I grew up in this big Democratic family, and I was taught to believe that people who were Republicans, well, you know, were the enemy. Mm-hmm. And then I fell in love with a Republican, mm-hmm. and I was like, what? Whoa, 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 you know, and then everybody in my family is like, <gasps> and I was like, whoa, whoa. And then I could see people in my family having judgments about, you know, the person that I was choosing hadn't gone to the same kind of schools that people yeah. I grew up with and wasn't the same political party and wasn't this and wasn't that. And then I started wondering about judgments. Yeah. I started thinking about, gosh, we all judge people that are different from us. So that I began kind of thinking about that. Then I moved to Los Angeles and my family was like, oh my God, you would have thought I had, you know, I don't know what I had done. You know, my mother was like, you know, you're in Hollywood and that's mm-hmm. terrible. Mm-hmm. And that's, all. and I was like, is it? I don't know. You know, yeah. and so I think that, you know, I feel blessed to have had obviously the parents that I had, but they're very different than me. And I have some similarities to both of them. Mm -hmm. But I have tried to pick apart and I wanted to be, as I said, a different kind of mother, Uh a different kind of wife. And I've only in my adulthood tried to kind of be a different kind of woman. And I realized I thought I was so much like my mother in so many ways. And now I'm looking at things like I'm like my mother, but I'm very different from my mother. Coming up, I talked to Maria about her mother. How were they the same? How did they differ? She opens up about that and what it was like to grow up a Kennedy. That and more when we come back. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash space. Just go to Indeed.com slash space right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash space. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. How are you the same? 
I think we're both restless. Yeah. I think we're both determined. Yeah. I think we both, uh, she came up very much in a man's world. Mm-hmm. And when I was starting out, certainly in journalism, it was very much of a mm-hmm. male profession. So I adapted this like, okay, you know, yeah. fight. Right. And I remember a guy I was working with, it was a teacher, and he said, what are you fighting? Huh. And I was like, what do you mean? I'm, yeah. I'm fighting. And yeah. he's like, what? And I was like, uh. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. Yeah. And he's like, you ought to be thinking about what you're fighting. Yeah. Maybe that's old. And oh. you're bringing the fight, you know, yeah. to the room. And you've already won that fight and it's old. It's right. over. You're in the room now. And you're in the room. And so you don't have to do that anymore. Right. And no one had ever said to me. Wow. You know, like, it's like my friend Martha Beck, I was like, I got to hurry up and do this. And she goes, where are you hurrying up to? You know, and I was like, ah. you know, so I, I love Martha things Beck like has, that. That's yeah. so good. So she love, like, yeah. she, she's like, where yeah. are you rushing to? And I was like, I got to get this done. I get this. She goes, well, but why? And I was like, yeah. I, I, <laughs> if you yeah. really break it down. Break it down. But where are we all where rushing to? to? Right. Yeah. That's such a, you know, it's it's such a deep, profound, and like, you sit there and you're like, oh my God, what of course, where am I rushing to? So I've actually tried to slow down yeah, because I'm a different person when I'm going slow. Mm. And I find myself when I'm not in a rush, I'll stop and say like, if I'm in the Starbucks line, I'll say, hey, hi, how are you? You do? You have oh, conversations? Always, I have conversations versus, and I try to slow myself down. But I think you know, everybody's rushing and they have their face in their phone yep. and they're, you know, running through their life. And I did that. And I don't remember a lot of it because I was running through. And so now I try to go slower so mm. I can remember the conversations. I can remember the moments. Uh-huh. I can remember the people. Right. The sprinting through. That is so yeah. true. And I think this, I have found myself in professions that accentuated that. Yeah. And so now I, yeah. on purpose, I say to myself, okay, I don't need to do that anymore. I don't need to be in a chaotic breaking news story anymore. That, right. The people who are attracted to that. Are I was attra- attracted yeah, to too. that. Yeah. I was attracted. So I had to look at why was I attracted to chaos? Why was I attracted to, you know, hysterical people, (laughs) you know, doing crazy things. Why (laughs) was that? Because it was about me. Yeah, it's not about them. Yeah. And so I had to look at that and realize that I actually wrote myself a poem that I'm addicted to chaos. You did? Oh, yeah. How does it go? Do you remember? No, I don't. But I mean, I don't, I didn't memorize it, but I wrote it to actually show myself that it was me. Right. And that I could take myself out of it. Okay. You told me how you're, how you're the same as your mom. How are you different? Um, I'm not as angry as my mom. Yeah. I don't have as much rage as my mom. Yeah. I'm uh, softer than my mom. And I think I have been given that has, I've been able to delve into that in a way she couldn't. She wasn't given the opportunity or she didn't uh, know that it existed mm. there. So I have a very different spirituality. I think I have, uh, we're both, she was deeply religious and I think I'm deeply spiritual. I've been able to explore my femininity in ways I think my mother never could. Mm. I think um, I'm a more kind of 
affectionate, physically affectionate mother mm. than my mother was. I was really determined to break that cycle. Was it hard or awkward in the beginning if you didn't receive it to give it or was no, it No, because I knew that it, I didn't receive it and I needed to give it. You needed to, yeah. Because I, I, it was a big thing for me not to get it. Yeah. And uh, and I think my, I also say that my mother was n- probably not the recipient of it either. Yeah. And that we talked about breaking cycles in our families. And that's a cycle I wanted to break. I knew subconsciously or consciously I wanted to break that. And I feel like I, I did. How was your mom with your kids? Uh, very different yeah. uh, uh, than she was with the five of us. I have yeah. four brothers and myself. And so she was able to take more time. I think my mother was in a real rush. Mm-hmm. When I was little, her brother was president. She was trying to build a worldwide organization. Mm-hmm. She was trying to change the world. And I think that's really hard to, you know, push up against that yes. 24-7 and, you know, bounce the ball. Yeah. Yeah. It's really hard. And I always said to myself, I knew that my kids, you know, would end up in therapy at some point, <laughs> but I knew that they wouldn't be able to say she wasn't there. Mm-hmm. They could say she was this, this, or this, but I didn't want them to say that I had chosen something over them. I wanted them to know that they were my priority, and I wanted them to feel that. One thing that you're doing right now as we speak is... We hear a lot about raising kids up and the right way to raise them up, but there's not a whole lot said about how to raise or continue to raise adult children. Right. It's like some people are like, my job is done. They're 18, they're 21, they're out the door. I'll yes. be here, doors open for Christmas. And I've interviewed a couple of moms who have, you know, kids who are just really great kids. I think I told you yesterday, I talked to Derek Jeter's mother. Yeah. And I said, how did you raise up Derek Jeter and his sister, Charlie? And she said, First of all, I never doubted them. And in our house, they were not doubted. The world will doubt them, but not Mm, here. mm. When they come here, they know we believe. And she said, the other thing is, I tried so hard to get them to speak. Because once you start burying things as a kid, you get teased. You don't want to talk about it. I'll feel better after I go to sleep and wake up. She said, I tried everything. We'd drive in the car if that if they spoke better that way, or we'd walk, because I think Derek spoke better when they were walking side by side as opposed to sitting. Boys, yeah. Yeah, boys. But she said, I felt like it was so important to unearth it little by little, just so it wasn't mm. a big mound on top of him when he grew up. But you, you're raising adult kids, and I've seen people, when you were on the show, asking about that. Mm. And it doesn't get a whole lot of attention, but... I know. I was just actually talking about that. All the parenting books are, you know, for five and under, teenagers. And I think it's complicated with adult children. And I I know people say like, you know, 18, out the door. Yeah. Cut them off, let them go. There's that philosophy. There's what she's saying. You know, I've tried to kind of look at my home as a fueling station Mm. where people can come back and get the love they need the food yeah. they may need, the encouragement and nourishment that they may uh. need, and then to go out into the world. But I I think, um, and the truth. The, and truth. the truth. You always tell yeah, them the, the truth. truth. You know, like the, the truth that they may not get someplace else. And I think I did not get a lot of talking yeah. when I was growing up. How did and you? And I think that's why I started writing books. 
because I didn't, you know, there were things going on in my family that nobody talked about. And I think that was really detrimental because you'd say, like, I would hear things in the zeitgeist and yeah. I'd come home and I'd go, is, is, is that true? true? Or so, yeah. And they no, we don't talk about that. We don't talk about that. And uh, or when, you know, my uncles were killed, we're like, we don't talk about that. We just move right along. And I'm like, yeah, but like, right. Somebody just, nope, but go, do you want to go sailing now? Do you want to talk about something else? And I'd be like, okay. Uh, oh, okay. So you buried it. So yeah. I buried it and I buried it and I buried it. And whatever you bury comes out. Yeah. You yeah. know, it comes out in yeah. your fight. It comes yes. out in your rage and your anger. And so I think understanding, learning about that helped me. And I think also wanting to talk and realizing I was in a family that was well-known that didn't talk about it. So where could I talk about yeah. it? Because I didn't want to talk about my family. So I masqueraded it in books. Isn't that interesting? So I talked it had to, to come the out. world about, about grief, about heaven, about intellectual disability, about Alzheimer's in my children's book or in my reporting so I could talk about what I couldn't talk about at home. (laughs) Wow. That is fascinating. Yeah. (laughs) And then when did you start just saying, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm just telling the truth. Like that's how I'm going to go through life. I think I started feeling like I had the freedom or the permission Uh. Uh, when my marriage ended. Mm. And um, I first, you know, felt like, oh, I better go and figure out, like, what is the truth? And I went to a convent to, um, I did, like, so many things. But one (laughs) of the things I did is I went to a convent, a cloistered convent, and uh, to, to be in silence and, you know, to look for advice. And the Reverend Mother there, the mother there, said to me at the very end, she said, and I actually have written about this, but I I haven't shared it, but she said, I think you came here looking for permission. And I felt like I was in a scene out of The Sound of Music, you know, which had been (laughs) like, I was like, like, what? She goes, you can't come live here. And she goes, but you do have permission to go out and become Maria. And I was like... I was like sobbing and I'm like, who's that? I was like, who is that? And so I think the word permission, um, I had never given myself permission to, to feel, to be vulnerable, to be weak, to be brought to my knees. And the world did it to me. (sighs) And then I was like, okay, God, like, let's go. Yeah. And I'm going to take this and learn everything I can about my role Mm. and what I need to learn. You know, when something like that or the universe knocks you like that, I think you have to like not focus on the other person. Just figure out like, what is your learning curve? What do you need to learn from this experience? And so I, I gave myself permission to start learning. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my God. How profound for that Reverend Mother. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You talked about, I uh, was asking you about raising up adult kids. So what? Yeah, just about giving them a place per, yeah, to come place home. Yeah, a place to come home nurture. to. Yeah, that, that's what I feel that is my role. And I'm now as a, I'm learning a role as a mother-in-law. I'm learning yeah. a role as a mama G, yeah. you know? So like, do I come in? Do I come out? Yes, I come in on some days. On other days, I step out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, do I 
how do I roll with my children's relationships? Mm-hmm. Do I give my opinion? Do I not? Do you? I do. <laughs> but I don't don't keep right. You give it, it once. I'm give maybe twice. Twice. <laughs> <laughs> maybe three times. <laughs> but you let them know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I let them know. And I, I, I try to do it in a way that's not about somebody else, but it's about them. You know, I think it's I, I right. think, you know, and then I have to step out because it's not my life. Mm-hmm. It's that's not hard, my life. Though, isn't yeah, it? it's not my life. And uh watching your kids fall Oof. and and make mistakes and everything is um, you know, painful. Mm-hmm. And parenting at uh, every level is, that's the other thing I've learned actually that I wish somebody had told me very young is the and, like joyful and painful. Uh It's, you know, the greatest thing ever and it's the most heartbreaking thing Mm -hmm. ever. It's, you do your job really well, they leave you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so it's a lot of and uh-huh. holding both things mm-hmm. on any given day. So I think that's a good lesson for marriage, for friendship, for parenting, for I love my time coming to NBC. Mm-hmm. I love my work and mm-hmm. it's not the only thing in my life. Yes, um, yes, the you know, and. So the that's and. good, that's yeah, good. Not but, but and. Coming up, a lesson about being seen, one that Maria is still learning to this day. More on that when we come back. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially, step up like a boss and save the day, or see what life's like under the tree of life. Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. You guys, if you're you're listening and you haven't read Maria's Sunday paper, please read it. I look forward to it every Sunday morning. And the one, you've had so many brilliant ones, but there was one about when people feel invisible. Yeah. And that struck me. And it actually surprised me to hear you say that about yourself. Like I was reading that and I was, and you talking about when you're next to Arnold, sometimes people would reach across you as if you oh, weren't yeah. there to get to him. A lot. I, I, that's a big part, a big story of my life, actually, feeling invisible. I grew up feeling invisible in an incredibly public, famous family. Hmm. But there were a lot of really big characters in that family that as a child, and I think so many of these things get formulated in you as a child, 
So if you as a child are standing next to the president of the United States, two U.S. senators, the first lady, nobody's looking at you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You are background noise. And you take that with you really through life and you end up putting yourself in situations where that continues Mm. until you learn your lesson. Mm. That it's not about other people seeing you. It's about you seeing yourself. And that took me a really long time, a really long time to learn. And so I would find myself getting angry at people, you know, who came up and didn't acknowledge that I existed (laughs) um, when I was standing next to Arnold or when I was standing next to, you know, my uncle or something. I'd be like, and then I was like, they're teaching me a lesson that it's not about whether they see me. Do I see me? Am I visible to me? Mm. You know, there's always somebody who's feeling invisible in the the world, in the room, in the whatever. And I know what that feels like. And so I usually try to go over and talk to the person who I think is standing there feeling that way. I think people think that, you know, they're the only one that feels that way. And I think... We're in such a big world that's moving so fast. Yes. I think the unifying thing is that we most of us feel that way. Mm-hmm. And the antidote to that, the panacea to that, is to just talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. It's to look someone in the eye, yeah. to get off your phone, to connect with someone, because yeah. that's what makes people feel seen. Yes. I thought what made people feel seen was winning an Emmy, yeah. getting an award, getting a book, being on TV. But what actually makes people feel seen and worthy is talking to them, sitting with them, calling them, slowing down, right? sitting on the porch going, I don't have anywhere to go. I'm right here with I'm right you here. Oh. and you are enough. And I've had to learn that over and over. Wow. Like I say to my son, do you want to invite somebody else to dinner? Because like, I'm thinking like he doesn't want to eat dinner with me by himself. <laughs> and he's like, I'm good mommy with just you. And I'm like, you sure? You sure? <laughs> you know, I still have an insecurity. Like, yeah. I still like, you're good with just me. Just me. Just me. It's funny because you're talking about relationships, parent, work, spouse, mm. all that stuff. And you are doing these, these things are amazing. It's radically reframing. reframing. And right. now you're doing radically reframing relationships. relationships. Yeah. Like, how, how do you radically reframe uh, relationships? relationships? Yeah, well, like I what? think they're, they are already being radically reframed. I mean, I like look what? at my kids in their 20s and 30s, their marriages, their relationships or not marriages are so radically different than my mm-hmm. generation. Relationships at work, what people expect from Mm -hmm. their relationships at work or don't allow Mm -hmm. in their relationships at work. What they expect from their boss uh, in terms of a relationship at work is dramatically different. What people expect in a spouse Mm -hmm. uh, or a partner today or marriage, the concept of marriage, whether they even buy into marriage or what they what they put on marriage is very different than when I went into marriage. So I think that in friendships, uh, how people get in and out of friendships. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, people midlife understanding they need new friendships, delving out into friendships, understanding that friendships take work, and then also looking at the different kinds of relationships that exist that you need. 
right? So I think all of these things are actually, if you talk to people in their 20s, their 30s, their 50s, their 60s, if I were in a relationship, it would be dramatically different Uh what I would be expecting or what I would be thinking or how I would even move in a relationship if it was romantic today or what I expect from my work relationships. It's completely different than 10 years ago. So funny because friendships are something that sustain most people throughout their lives. 100%. But when you're in college, your friends are all right there. But you don't have to try. You just turn around and there's 50 million friends. The minute you move out to your first job, it's like, oh, I've got to start making friends. And as you get older, it does take real work. It does, yeah. Are you expanding? Like, tell me about your friendship circle or do you kind of keep... I'm not... No, I mean, I, I wish... I I feel like, you know, there was my college friends, my high school friends. And then, you know, when I had little kids, there were like all the The mommy friends. So there was the mommy friends. And then there was the school friends. Then all my kids left. So then all of a sudden, kind of a lot of the school mommy friends left too. Right. Right. They drifted. And I found like at work, most of the people other than us are like 20. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I made all my work friends. But they're now my age. And so I think that I have found it, you know, I sometimes sit there and I'm like, and then also I'm single. So a lot of people do couple friends. Yes. And so I'm moving through the world in a different place Mm -hmm. and a different way than I was 10 years ago, Mm -hmm. 15 years ago. So I'm conscious of the fact that I want to make sure the friends I do have, Mm -hmm. that I'm going deep. Yeah. That I'm checking in with, that I'm making sure that, and it's not a lot, they're not a lot. You better make new friends. You need to make new friends, especially as you get older, because friends are what sustain you and people are lonely and that's bad for your health. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really bad for your health. The science says most people think that you won't, whoever the other person, won't like them. Oh, that's why we don't approach. Yeah. And the, all the science and research says people do like you. Yeah. People do want to meet you. They people do. do want it. So it's our own projection. Yeah. It's our own fear. Yeah. I do that. I'm like, oh, well, well you know, I don't want to go yeah. up and bother, whatever. Yeah. They may be uh, busy. They yeah, got something going just, on. Whatever. We tell ourselves yeah. all these stories. Yeah. And I now try to notice when I'm telling myself a story that I'm telling myself a story. Mm-hmm. And I try to stop it or... Hit pause and go, right. Hit pause and go like, that's a story. And the other thing that I feel like is so big with you is you're radically reframing aging. Yes, that's very important to me. Was Yeah, it was so important, but yeah. Yeah, because we're all aging, right? The idea, and I know people who are 30 who feel older than I do. And a lot of it is such a state of mind and all the research shows that, you know, unless you have an actually physical debilitating disease, right, which is separate over here, but your mindset about who you are, what you're capable of, whether your best days are in front of you, that's so important to be able to think positively Mm -hmm. about the aging experience. It's a blessing. It's a gift to keep Mm -hmm. reminding yourself as opposed to getting, looking in the mirror and going like, damn, who's that? What the hell is, you know, because we all have that critical voice, right? And it's, it's never, or certainly mine has never been kind to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I have to catch myself all the time, like, you're okay. Yeah, you, you know, got this. You got this. You're never going to be this young again. Yeah. So enjoy, enjoy it. it. <laughs> you know, it's so funny because I there's a 
person I see occasionally walking around the, you know, 30 Rock and whatnot, and she's always like, oh, God, getting old's a pain, isn't it? Like, that's her line. Yeah, I don't want to And I don't that. want to be around that. No, but me neither. But I can't believe that like, that's what you lead with. What a bummer about getting old. Getting yeah. old is that. And I don't, like, I don't think that way. I mean, I just feel like. Well, you're so optimistic. You're so upbeat. Yeah. You're so positive. You know, I think of yeah. you as like, the glass is full yeah, all the time. It's full. And so that's such a great thing to be around because that's contagious. And that makes you feel mm-hmm. also good about yourself, right? If you're around somebody, their energy, like we were talking the other night, walks into the room before they do. Yes. And, you feel them coming in. Right. You feel and it. that's, it's big. Yeah. Yeah. It is big. I love speaking to you. I love. Are we finished? <laughs> I don't want it to be. <laughs> I don't want it to be because <gasps> I'll tell you space. what. We made space. You made space. Maria, I love you. I love you too. Thanks for coming to see me. I love you. Oh, Hey guys, thank you so much for listening and for going on this journey with me. If you like what you heard, and I sure hope you do, please give Making Space a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to tell your friends and follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you're listening right now. Making Space with Hoda Kotb is produced by Allison Berger and Ursula Summer, along with associate producer Rachel Yawn. Our associate audio engineer is Juliana Mastrorelli. Our audio engineers are Tarek Fuda and Bob Mallory. Original music by John Estes. Bryson Barnes is our technical director. Mina Kathuria is our executive producer. And the executive vice president of today is Libby Leakst. It's time to breathe easier this allergy season with Breathe Right Nasal Strips. With instant nasal congestion relief for up to 12 hours, you can spend your time on your terms, not on your noses. Stuffy nose from outdoor allergens? No problem. We got you. Allergy season just turned into stripping season. Instant relief from nasal congestion anytime, anywhere. Need more convincing? Click the banner below and get a free sample. Breathe Right. Get your strip on. Use as directed.